both uh, Shang Zhuok and Casey mentioned that uh, we're doing this thing called Explore God. Explore God is a way that we're partnering with churches all over Richmond to ask the questions that are really core questions about Christianity, core questions about who we are as human beings. And today's question that we're asking is, is the Bible reliable? Um, I know um, that uh, a lot of you don't feel very expert at the Bible. In fact, when I talk to folks that are new around here, one of the things they often confide in me is, hey, I feel like everybody around here really knows the Bible, and I don't, and I'm kind of embarrassed about that. Well, first thing I just want to say is, this is the perfect church for you. If you notice, we give you access to the Bible. We preach it, we sing it, we, you know, have the Old Testament reading printed in the bulletin, we read from the Psalm 98, all those things, with these Bible studies, with these classes. So we understand it's a big book. It takes some time to kind of get familiar with it, learn how to read it. That's okay. And this is actually a perfect church for you. Some of you are Bible scholars, and I appreciate that. But I also know that there's a lot of folks that have this feeling like, ah, I'm just not sure how to approach this thing. Kim asked me the question yesterday, my wife. Um, what was my first sort of memory of the Bible? And I didn't expect it to be kind of a hilarious question to me, but I remember when I was a kid, we had a grandmother that lived with us, and this grandmother scared me to death. She was just a wall away, and I was not quite sure what she was sort of up to. She spoke German. I spoke English. And so it was just a nerve-wracking experience, honestly. And she had a nightstand, and on that nightstand was a Bible that was one of those Bibles that was ragged and worn, decrepit, ancient. You know, it just seemed like otherworldly. And inside the Bible, from time to time, I'd get up my courage and go into her room and flip open the Bible because the Bible would be full of things, not just pages of the Bible, but like obituaries and uh, pressed flowers and locks of hair. I don't know what that was about, but all that stuff was in there. And it was so my first memory of the Bible was, I don't know what is up with that book, but it freaks me out. (laughs) I remember as a kid, you know, growing up, the priest at the church, he had a special Bible that only he would use, you know, it was gold covered on the front. So my mom would lean over and say, don't touch that Bible. That belongs to the priest. And so I'll be like, okay, I won't go near it. I'll let him, t- I'll let him tell me what's going on in the Bible. And I couldn't, but at some point in my life, those are like when I'm in grade school, my kind of my, my impressions. But at some point I get, um, I live enough life and I have enough conflicts inside and with my family and I have enough sort of inner turmoil that I start to need God to say something. And so at that point, I'm grateful that God has given us a Bible. I'm grateful that as Christians believe, God has spoken to us. So we're going to ask two questions this morning. Um, and they're huge questions. We're going to try to do uh, a quick dip into each one of them. One is, is the Bible reliable? And then we're going to ask the question, reliable for what? Which, for me, honestly, is the more compelling question for us this morning. If you have a Bible, or if you have a bulletin, or if you can look at the screen behind me, we're going to look at Luke 24, and we're going to look at 13 through 35, and 44 through 48. What you've got going on here is, this is one of the last passages 
in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. And what's happened is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ has just been discovered. And then we have two disciples, one named Cleopas, one that is unnamed, have an interaction with the, with the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, that's very interesting for us this morning as we ask our questions. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. And we ask that you would open it up to us this morning. Um, just as I uh, reached a point in my life where uh, I started to feel my need of you to speak, that is our need this morning. We need you to speak the truth to us. We pray all this for your glory in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all that, all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then on a separate occasion following this, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then 
he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem's. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to take like five minutes and talk about, I think, the type of stuff you guys would generally expect in a sermon about. Is the Bible reliable? And the first thing I want to say is um, I saw uh, in the first service people, there was, you know some student types like scribbling furiously to get all this stuff down. It's on our website. So all you got to do is go to our website, click on today's question, and it will lead you to today's sermon notes and the resources there. Save you some scribbling. You can do more listening, right? Free you up. Um, but... Um, I would say I want to introduce you to two really good resources. And, Becky, if you could put up my notes there about is the Bible reliable. The one is um, I acquainted myself this week with an old friend, F.F. Bruce, the canon of Scripture. Bruce is uh, one of my favorite scholars. His clarity is just amazing. And he's done a really great job kind of unpacking uh, where did we get our Bible. And we'll revisit some of the things that he's teaching in a second. So I recommend it to you. If you've got um, high-level questions about where's the Bible come from what, and what's it for, um, I would also recommend to you um, a site that Steve Shelby put me onto, uh, michaeljkruger.com. Mike Kruger is a professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, and he's got this site where, like, you got a question, you click on the question, he leads you through, like, a one-page answer. He's great, and he kind of takes the hard work of people like Bruce and makes it really, really accessible to us. So I'm going to recommend it to you, because I know some of you really care about this. Many of you are like, just get on with the sermon. But for some of you, like this is really important, okay? First, I want to answer the question, what is the Bible? Like, How do we approach it? What generally is it? The first thing I want to say about the Bible, and this is one of the things that I have found compelling about you know, giving it a hearing, giving it a look, that... Um, what you have in the Bible is an unfolding story. The next slide, Becky. You have an unfolding story from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, from the beginning to the end. And in that story, you have a phenomenal amount of factors contributing to it. Okay? It's a huge, huge undertaking. We're talking about 66 books. Not one book, 66. We're talking about 40 authors. 1,500 years for it all to be written down. Three continents, so you have culture things, language things going on there. So it's this huge undertaking. But one of the things that's remarkable about it is its story has a phenomenal unity to it. Now, the reason why this is important to us is I don't know how many of you serve on committees for your work or your kid's school, for, you know, for whatever reason, you know that it's like virtually impossible to get people to agree upon new initiatives, right? You just, you just don't do that. It's just not that easy. So when you think about the human element, this sort of thing is remarkable to consider. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what is the central message of the Bible in a second. But just first, just pause and think about how amazing it is that God brought together all of these human factors for his purposes to... Um, make clear this unfolding story and message. And a simple way to understand what's happened is in the Old Testament, you have years and years and years of anticipation. God, we live in a broken and fallen world. 
We are sinners in need of redemption. We need an advocate. We need change. So years and years and years of anticipation. Then, God becomes man in the Gospels. We read about it. You read about the teachings, the birth, the life, the conflicts of Jesus Christ, his passion, his death, his resurrection. All these things, it's as if, um, as one of the reformers put it, like there's a cradle was being prepared for Jesus all along. And then at his birth, he's the fulfillment of the longing of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we have these eyewitnesses and apostles ordained, set apart by Jesus to tell the church the message, to demonstrate that the Messiah has come, and to make his ministry an impact and teachings clear to the world. And so that's what starts happening. It's like everything zooms in from both sides on Jesus. That's another unique thing about the book, is it reaches its climax in Jesus. Now, the diversity of the book also means, you know, all of these authors, all of these factors that are coming together. We could ask the question about reliability about every single book of the Bible. And believe me, I've gone to seminary. I know that you do that sort of thing. Um, But I wanted to raise a couple of things that people seem to be interested in. One is, people are always asking me questions about, where do we get our New Testament from? How did it come about? Again, I recommend to you F.F. Bruce. Nobody better. He does such a clear job of explaining where it's come from. And one of the things, as I was reading him this week, I was really struck by, one of the things that's unique about Christianity is in Christianity, we have this long history of the community that God's gathered together is given a measure of authority to prove what God says. That God speaks to his people through prophets. And you find out whether it's a fake prophet or whether it's a godly prophet because the community ends up proving it. And time passes and the community is acted upon in the name of the prophet or is, uh, receives it and there's implications for that. It's so different than any other religious book out there. I mean, compare it to the Quran, for example. In the Quran, you have one guy receiving a single message. He records all of it and delivers it to the people. But in Christianity, you have all these years and factors. You have God acting in the midst of the people, and they bear witness to what he has said and what he has done. Bruce says there's some questions like the early church asked to kind of validate, is a document something that should be included in what they call the canon or the collection of the New Testament scriptures? And so they said these questions come up. It's not like they sat around and all went through these questions together, but these questions get asked time and time again to prove whether something should have been a part of the New Testament because it was God's word. Did it claim to be God's word? Famous passage of scripture from uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 where the Apostle Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God. You know, expiration. Kind of like on a cold day, you breathe and get the the puff of steam that comes off your mouth. You know, or you're hearing words come out of my mouth. That's that idea that God is the only source of Scripture. That he speaks and it's recorded. He uses men carried along by the Holy Spirit. But the source of the Bible is the Lord. And there's a unity between what God has said and who he is. There's complete unity and there's complete agreement. So does a book of the Bible claim to be God's word? Does it have that character of God speaking? Uh, was it written or endorsed by Jesus' apostles? You know, does it have an apostolic uh, origin? Is it old? 
Now, does it go, you know, is there, we have proof that it goes back to the first century. That's got to be part of it, too. Is it consistent with the message of the apostles? So the things that the, the apostles, we know that they taught, uh, did a book also agree with that? And certainly we can read about even in the book of Acts that the women are studying right now. That was one of the questions they kept on dealing with. Can we trust Paul? Well, let's just revisit what Jesus taught in the apostolic message. And yes, we can. Those sorts of things happened over and over again. And also, was it accepted by the early church? So um, Bruce does a phenomenal job kind of unpacking a lot of those things, and I recommend it to you. Um, one of the other questions that I have um, asked me a lot is uh, on the next slide, isn't the Bible just full of errors? It's jam-packed full of inconsistencies and errors and um, mistakes, and isn't there like a thousand Bibles out there? Um, all I can say is, and I recommend to you a, uh, a scholar named Daniel Wallace, and Wallace does this great job of showing we have no other ancient document that is so well attested. I mean, one of the, one of the facts in Wallace's analysis that really blew me away. I mean, I'd seen in the British Library uh, parts of, the, of uh, you know, ancient manuscripts and things like that. But I was just thinking about the fact that the early church quotes the New Testament a million times or more. A million. And in those quotes, we have agreement among what... The early church was saying this was holy writ, the Bible. These are the books of the New Testament. It's a remarkable experience, and I kind of recommend the website again so you can plumb the depths of that a little bit more. Um, but I want to get on to the question this morning about what the, the Bible's reliable for, because interestingly enough, in Casey's testimony, where's Casey? So in Casey's testimony this morning, too, just talking about how you know Mary moved from being a skeptic to being a believer. Um, she resonated with what she was reading about in the Bible. And this is what we start to see happen. This scripture text from Luke 24 that we've read today, we have people that were handling the Bible, but they are changed into guys that were persuaded. They were changed from people that were just sort of learning about the Bible to people that it all of a sudden became um, a whole new way of understanding reality. What's the Bible reliable for? One quick summary statement. This might help you too, since we're a Reformed church. We key off of a confessional document called the Westminster Standards and Westminster Confession of Faith. Becky, next slide. I'll keep going. That's the one. Number five, Westminster Larger Catechism, number five, summarizes what the Bible's for for us because um, it says that the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God. So the Bible tells us it's for understanding God. It's for faith issues. And what duty God requires of man. It's for life issues. It's for obedience issues. So it, the Bible tells us things that we can't learn from just this world that we live in. This uh, summer, Shang preached a sermon on, on uh, Psalm 19 where he talks about how the, the heavens declare the glory of God. We can learn that there's a God and that he is magnificent. When we look at a starry night, when we look at the sea, when we look at a child, these things can tell us about the creator. But it takes a special revelation to tell us how is it that we're going to be saved from our sin? How is it that we're going to get peace with that giant God? Because i got some issues. What's he going to do about it? Or what could I do about it? So that's the purpose of the Bible. 
It's not a science manual. It's not a technical manual, although I guess there's technical and science aspects to it. Its main purpose is to make it clear who he is and then who I am, who we are as the people of God. Few ways that God ends up showing us in this passage what the Bible's reliable for. The first thing I want to point out is, and maybe this is intended so that we could breathe a sigh of relief. I made that reference about very few Bible experts around here. There's also something else that we have in common as worshipers this morning, and that is um, we are all uh, what Jesus is going to call in this passage, slow of heart, sluggish hearts, right? That's just the way that we are. And God sees that, and God uses the Scripture to expose that to us and also to affirm that he knows that about us. He's not surprised by that. The slowness of heart thing uh, here is really about belief, that we're just not quick to take him at his word. We're just not quick to look for him, not quick to respond to him. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In verse 15 and 16, their eyes were kept. Who's keeping them? Not really Jesus. That's not the point there. The, The thing was, they were in a situation where they have trouble perceiving the risen Lord right there, walking with them, talking with them. They were dealing with the sluggish heart issue so profoundly that Jesus was in their midst and they couldn't see him. So Jesus asked the question about what they're talking about. And it says, they stood still, looking sad. So they're walking. They get stunned by Jesus' question. They view it to be a ridiculous question. Everybody knows what we're talking about. You're coming from Jerusalem too, right? Isn't it clear? We're talking about Jesus and the disappointment. I'm stunned. I stop. I look at you in disbelief. So what you have is people dealing with sluggish hearts. And one of the things that's attacking the heart at this point, these guys are cynical. They have not seen Jesus produce what they expected. They're dealing with death and grief. A shattered hope. Confusion. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's what we had hoped for, and it hasn't come to pass. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day. They're calling to mind Jesus' promises. Three days, and you'll see. It's now the third day. We're leaving. We're leaving the seat of power and the seat of hope in Jerusalem. We're traveling seven miles to get to Emmaus. We're going home. I don't know what's waiting for us there, but I don't care. Foolish, slow of heart to believe. That's not like a mean statement. I breathe a sigh of relief when I read that. Jesus knows what we're dealing with. He's not surprised by it all. So look what he does. God uses the scripture in this passage and generally to show that he's a revealer. How many of you operate in life suspecting that God's holding back from you? That he's got something that you need that he's keeping for himself because he's toying with you, because he's capricious. I, I don't know. But I think that's all about the slow heart deal. We suspect, we're suspicious of God sometimes. We wonder, is he for me? Does he love me? 
It says in verse 31 that their eyes were open, that they recognized him. It was the mercy of God and Jesus Christ that he used the word of God to make it clear who was in their midst. Who's, he's doing that right now. He's, who's among us right now? Who it is we're worshiping? Which God is it? Which God is it that we belong to, that we're accountable to, who loves us? Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Also, we see the character of the Scripture here, and this has been really helpful for me to understand this, as a book of clues, right? Or some uh, other people have talked about it being a window. Like you open it up, and you get a window to what's real, what's real about you, what's real about God, what's real about our destiny. A book of clues that are hints that teach us where it is we're headed to, who he is. And you see Jesus used the Bible this way. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus opens up the Bible and uses the Old Testament law and says, it's really about me. He reads the prophets and says, it was really me that they were talking about. Later on, that separate occasion, Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here he adds to it, he reads the Psalms, says, every song that we sang at the temple was really about me. It was my song. So the nature of opening eyes is specifically related to seeing who Jesus is. And so the scripture is used in our lives to give us hints along the way about what God is doing and who we are. And then finally, one of the things I want to mention is that the Scripture is one of those things that we see in this passage, one of the unique qualities of God's Word. It doesn't just make us smarter. The Scripture is a unique book in that it interprets us. It interprets who we are. We spend a lot of time studying the Bible and learning it, But one of the things that's very true about it is when we read the Scripture, its intended purpose is not only to make God clear, but it's to create something dynamic in us that we would understand better who we are and what we're designed for. One of the great things we did at our Wednesday night fellowship this past week is I gave everybody the homework assignment to talk about a time in their week, just to reflect a time in their week, when um, they felt an ache for something or... Uh, they got really angry, they got ticked off, or some, they found something hilarious or beautiful, or they just longed for something to happen. What did that say about how we're made? So we spent a long time talking about that. The scriptures also is intended to set our hearts afire, which is not just a statement about conviction that I know where the truth is now. It's also a statement of longing. That one of the things that the scripture teaches us to do, or worship teaches us to do, is to hate sin more, to long to see Jesus' face even more, for long for justice to roll down even more, to long for things to be set right, to long to be reunited with those folks that we have lost, to long to be loved, to long to fellowship with God. When we read the word of God, and we read God's promises there, and we get those clues about who Jesus is and what he's done, it's painful. And it creates an ache and a longing for us that only God's, only something supernatural could satisfy. 
I can reflect on my life and think about the time when I found Grandma's Bible spooky or the time I laughed at the priest's Bible to I got to a point where I needed God to speak. Who else is going to take away my sin? I'm done trying to make up for it. And I was in danger of hardening over. And at that time, I met Jesus Christ. He was made clear to me by the Scriptures. And I knew exactly which Jesus we were talking about. The one who's a friend of sinners. The one who took my place. The one who died on a cross to deliver me from the wrath of God. The one who's conforming me to his likeness. All these things, the Scriptures told me. And I longed for it to be true. I trusted it. A heart of flame, heart on fire, right? That's, that's the, the dynamic of what God does here in the Scriptures. The disciples say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? So Jesus explains the one that Moses talked about is in your midst. And these folks were glad and they longed for a reunion with Christ. The word of God arouses our need, our longing, confirms our destiny. And finally, the one thing, the last thing I want to say as we close and pray We have to recognize, too, again, look at how all of this talk about Scripture ends up pointing to Jesus. And that is because, as the Scripture tells us, there's a certain character about Jesus Christ and what he does, who he is. The Bible calls Jesus Christ the Word made flesh. The Apostle John said, God's been speaking for a long time. And now he's finally spoken to us by becoming like us. The writer of the Hebrews, which we've already quoted this morning, so in former days, God spoke through prophets. Not anymore. Now he speaks by showing up. And we read from the Apostle Paul that in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. That everything that God has promised and that he has set out to do, he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so God communicates to us by his own son in person. And that doesn't mean that he's just a great teacher, but communicates in the sense of presses into us the things that we need. He communicates to us fellowship with God and righteousness. And he gives us every grace resource in the gospel so that we would be not just forgiven, but joined to God forever. Now that's communication. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. So long for God to speak, you will not be disappointed. He has given us his word in every page, every jot and tittle, as Jesus Christ says, points to him. It will not pass away until it is fulfilled. And it has been, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ has come. The scriptures bear witness to him. And he'll come again. And we'll see face to face all that has been promised to us in his word. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, it's so good to value the gift of your word today. I thank you that you have spoken and that we can rely upon what you've said. Lord, we pray uh, in light of uh, this passage that uh, you would continue to change dull, distracted hearts into hearts that are aflame. And I thank you that you have taken our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the way that when we trust you, you meet us and you give us life and hope and peace. And we pray in this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.